Pirates, Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 14, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and there hasn't been any big developments in the sport since uh, the last time we recorded on Sunday night. Every ranked team that played on Monday won. Every ranked team that played on Tuesday won. Number two, Kansas beat Vermont. Number seven, North Carolina beat Stanford. Number 12, Kansas State beat Denver. Number 25, Buffalo beat Southern Illinois on the road. So now Buffalo has two true road wins, both of which are better than North Carolina's best road win. So Norlander's probably got them as a number one seed. All of that happened on uh, Monday night, Tuesday night. Number five, Tennessee beat Georgia Tech. Number 22, LSU beat Memphis. But the biggest story might have been Georgetown winning at Illinois. The Hoyas are now 3-0, and they have a white dude reverse donkey Norlander. I'll start right there. Is Mac McClung mania about to take over this country? Over the country, no, but it's about to take over this podcast. Mac McClung, whose dunking reputation, YouTube-born dunking reputation, was second in this class only to one Zion Williamson, uh, did his name well on Tuesday night. And that was a good but kind of chaotic game. Georgetown gets, a, frankly, a good win for that program. Go on the road, beat Illinois, and Illinois is not going to be an NCAA tournament team this season. I actually don't think Illinois is even going to be an NIT team this season. I think they're two years away from being – I think they'll pop. Two years from now, Brad Underwood might have a, a program that develops into Sweet 16 caliber. But regardless of that, good for Georgetown to do that. Um, and McClung, he's he's a uh, – He's fun to watch because l- l- listen, he's a he's a bulky white guy who can pop out of his shoes and and seeks to have dunks as awesome as possible in games. Parish. And when was the last time we talked about Georgetown on this podcast and it didn't involve them firing John Thompson or hiring Patrick Ewing? Parish. It's it has to be at least three or four years, right? Yeah, I mean they've been mostly irrelevant for a while, and it, it's wild to think about because. You know, and I tweeted this last night. My earliest sports memories heavily involved Georgetown because, you know, I, I, people people are going to be shocked to hear this, but I, I grew up in Memphis. You didn't know that, did you? Hold on, hold uh, on, hold on. You grew up in Memphis? Grew up in Memphis, still live in the area. Uh-huh. And okay. um, obviously it was Memphis State at the time, but they were awesome in the early 80s. They had a center named Keith Lee who was a – Two-time first-team consensus All-American. Had knee issues, so he never really flourished in the NBA. Didn't have much of an NBA career, but just an awesome college basketball player uh, from West Memphis, Arkansas. Shout to the West Memphis Three. Um, so it, it was it was Keith Lee and Pat Ewing. Those were the two dominant bigs. Like um, I, I think they were in school at the exact same time. They were both first-team All-Americans in 1983 and 1985 Keith wasn't in 84 but Pat was so so Pat was uh, I, I believe all three of those years uh, Keith only was in two of those years but either way um, my like I can vividly remember like uh, the, they were supposed to be on a collision course for the national championship game it was going to be Memphis State against Georgetown Keith Lee against Patrick Ewing and that was in 1985 and then of course Villanova upsets Memphis State in the national semifinals then Villanova upsets Georgetown, but Georgetown is was like the, the biggest thing um, in, in college basketball, and one of the big things in sports. You know, in my uh, in my childhood, and the idea that they've been mostly irrelevant in college basketball in recent years is kind of uh, it's not great. I, I do think it's great for the sport when Georgetown's good, and I don't know if Georgetown's good, but georgetown is three and oh and they got pat ewing as a coach and they got a white dude reverse duncan so all that's good yeah oh it's it's definitely good uh quick thought on keith lee i have no memory of this guy whatsoever because you you've got me dated by at least a decade there um 
but I do think that Keith Lee is on the very short list of the best, most forgotten about players from the 1980s because Memphis, then Memphis State, uh, you know, didn't get to a title game, and because the Big East was dominant, and you had other iconic moments from that decade: Jordan, Keith Smart, Danny and the Miracles, even Louisville. Um, when it with what it did in '86 behind Never Nervous Purvis, uh, Memphis State carries a good reputation, but it is, as you well know, and I'll get back to Georgetown in a second. But I actually wanted to tee you up on this real quick because you almost never get to talk about Memphis on this podcast. As you well know, that program, that that school, the players they had were very, very good. But to me, Keith Lee is really one of the forgotten superstars of that decade. Yeah, I mean, he's an icon in Memphis, but uh, anonymous outside of, of Memphis. Um, because his, his you know, there, there, while he was a first-team All-American, you know, Pat Ewing was the bigger deal. Um, Purvis Ellison is another great one. They, they, were, they were in the Metro Conference together, Memphis and Louisville, so uh, never nervous Purvis was, was a big deal. And then Keith, uh, like I said, NBA career wasn't much of anything, but um, – yeah, like because I follow Memphis State so closely, you follow Georgetown so closely, and so to have Georgetown back in, um, you know, back back relevant, you know, like to have Georgetown on national television last night and people tweeting about Georgetown was kind of a, a cool thing. The sports better when Georgetown is uh, is relevant. So for those unfamiliar, McClung is a six two freshman. He's from Virginia, got a forty four inch vertical, averaged forty two points per game last season at Gate City High School. He broke Allen Iverson's single-season and career state scoring records. He scored 47 in the 2A state title game. He finished with 12 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds, and 2 steals in last night's win at Illinois. And the reason this is interesting is because Georgetown is, is from a student population, 60% white. I think it's technically like 58% white, so the numbers I saw, but roughly 60% Caucasian. But it's long been identified as a quote-unquote black basketball program. Let me read you something from the Undefeated. It was a guy named Chris Palmer wrote this last July in a story about Mac McClung. Uh, he wrote, when John Thompson took over Georgetown in 1972, he quickly began to remake the program in his own image. During the Hoyas' brilliant run of three Final Fours in four years in the 80s, they earned a reputation of hard-nosed defense and, and uh, they earned the reputation of hard-nosed defense, a combative attitude, and a chip-on-the-shoulder mentality that defined early basketball swagger while also spawning frequent brawls. Georgetown was seen through a prism of blackness by the media and fans, more as brutes than student athletes or the lawyers, civic leaders, or coaches they would become. It was also an era ripe with stereotypes about black players. The Hoyas played with extreme patience, discipline, and execution. But those qualities were rarely celebrated by the media. The Hoyas embraced their image and began to use it in their favor, an element of defiance to it all. They appealed greatly to local black fans, particularly young black men who felt labeled, disrespected, and disregarded. To wear Georgetown gear in the 80s was to make a statement. It often meant you identified with the Hoyas. Hoya paranoia swept college basketball because they were terrifying to play against. The Hoyas were also unapologetically black. From 1984, when Georgetown became the first all-black team to win an NCAA Men's Division I national title to 1994. There were only three white players on the roster. Georgetown is still the only Power 5 school that hasn't had a white player average double figures in the past 40 years. What? And Tom, it's unbelievable, right? And Thompson started just one white player in the last 26 years that he coached. And Matt McClung, Mac McClung is just the second white guard 
to accept a scholarship to Georgetown since 1979. That's pretty, that's pretty wild, right? Incredible detail there uh, and a good little history lesson. And McClung is going to be – he will be a – you'll want to watch Georgetown because of him, because of his dunking. He's also erratic. I mean, he's, he's taken 11 threes. He hasn't hit one yet. He can, he can definitely be fire, fire and ice in that regard. Um, but I have to mention James Akinjo as well because when I went to Big East Media Day and I sat down with Pat Ewing, we got to talking about Akinjo, and he was extremely optimistic about the McClung-Akinjo combo. They're both freshman guards, and Akinjo has looked pretty good overall and will be a player that clearly grows into something. In fact, uh, Ewing did a post-game. like It's becoming more commonplace in TV now, college basketball particularly. Game ends, you go to the studio, you get the head coach on a headset within basically three to four minutes of the game ending, and then the head coach is respond, you know, reacting to what he just saw. Um, and so Pat Ewing, who this might have been the first time he's ever done this. Maybe he did it last year and I missed it, but he, he, uh, he I think he almost said James Akinjo had big nuts. <laughs> and he caught himself and he said he had a cojones, cojones, cojones. He was, uh, he was really great, really fun to watch. And by the way, Jesse Govan is a player we had in our top 40 in our preseason top 101 players list. He's been even a little bit overshadowed, but it's very critical. So the, to the overall point you're making, yeah, college basketball, and maybe it's because of when I grew up, and I think, frankly, a lot of people listening to this podcast, if, they're in, if, you're, if you're between the ages of, say, 33 and 40, or even call it, Parrish, even go back, if you're between 33 and 63, Georgetown uh, had players of note, was very fun to watch, and even, I'm, I'm coming from the Iverson era. They were very much part of the fabric and I'm talking like top 10 most important programs in college basketball you wanted to watch them continually relevant relevant within the Big East and they're trying to fight to get back toward that that's part of why you hire Patrick Ewing I don't think this is going to be an NCAA tournament team this season but it could wind up being one of the most entertaining non-NCAA tournament teams and yeah that was a nice opportunity for them on Tuesday night in the Gavit Games which is a great concept you get Big East versus Big Ten and frankly now with the season starting the way it is the Gavit Games will kind of It'll be that highlight in between the Champions Classic to open the season and Mao and the other tournaments in Week 3. You get the Gavit games. They had their, their moment to uh, to kind of shine there. And it is good to see Georgetown getting back into it. The stuff with McClung and the white scholarship guards is, is totally fascinating. Um, and we'll see if... Uh, We'll see if he continues to be a cult-like figure in college basketball because Georgetown might not win enough to be relevant this year, Parrish, or if he even will transcend that because he absolutely, you know, he, he can be a top-five must-see dunker, uh, let alone just different kind of player in the sport this season. Again, Georgetown off to a 3-0 and start. They are 62nd at Ken Palm right now. So that's um, a respectable NCAA – I mean, a respectable basketball team that could make – uh, the NCAA tournament. Obviously, at, at around 62, you're, you're probably on the outside looking in at an at-large, but um, it, it's November 14th, and uh, they're off to a 3-0 start with a road win over a Big Ten team, a Big Ten team that was playing without Trent Frazier, so that 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 matters. But still, a road win's a road win, and Georgetown is 3-0, and they got one last night. Meantime, Xavier, they got a white dude with cornrows, nicknamed Hanky McSpanky, so that's interesting. Can we talk about this? <laughs> okay. What's going on here? His name is know. his name is Zach Hankins, and he willingly likes to be called Hanky McSpanky. <laughs> we got to know the origin on this. I mean, it popped up on the screen on the on the graphic last night. It's, it's his Twitter it. handle is Hanky McSpanky. What? Yeah, if you go to, if you search Hanky McSpanky on Twitter, you 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 run right into 
to um, Zach Hankins. It, it is Hanky McSpanky on Twitter. He's at Hanky McSpanky. He has 2,000 followers right now. Hey, embrace it. Credit to you. Uh, to go through college with the name Hanky McSpanky, frankly, it sounds like something out of 1967, but more power to you. He actually came over uh, from Division Two, um, and he's now, I think he's a junior, right? Um I think it's a grad transfer. Is he a grad transfer? He'll be – he played at Ferris State. And he was he was labeled as the best D2 player in the country last season. So, I, ideally, Parrish, <laughs> this one-and-done Hanky McSpanky drive-by is going to be something memorable and awesome. Um, for Xavier, though, opportunity lost, obviously. That game was close at points, and then it got away from him. You get the game on your home floor. Um, Travis Steele takes his first loss of the season against the first legitimate opponent he's played. Uh, next up is actually Auburn in Maui on Monday. Parrish will be on hand to see that. Um, I get to see Hanky McSpanky in person? No, 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 no. You don't get to see Hanky McSpanky in person. You get to get the <laughs> you get the long-form story on the Hanky McSpanky, the, the entire history of how it came to be, okay? That is the one thing, please, can you? When we do this podcast with you from Maui, that's just – we have to open with with how we got to this point because college basketball can be so fun and so ridiculous and like only this sport would have a dude named Hanky McSpanky. Like what are we talking about? He got 11 points and 10 rebounds last night in that loss to Wisconsin. He's averaging 10 and 6 right now. Like you said he was a D2 player of the year last season at Ferris State and I promise you I will report from Maui. I will have the the full Hanky McSpanky story by, um, let's just say, m- Monday night at the latest. I uh, I fly there on Saturday, settle in on Sunday. Games start at like 9 a.m. local time. Which is on, awesome. Uh, that, that, like, what did you say? That's awesome. I think that's uh, great because then uh, you're done. Parish. You'll be done early, relatively speaking, you know? Yeah, I'd rather be uh, – I'd rather start late than be done early. <laughs> Um, but whatever, whatever. I'm going to be in paradise. Who cares? I'm going to be in paradise with Hanky McSpanky in Zion. Me, Hanky McSpanky, and Zion. So how about this? Uh, what if I start a story on a, a podcast like this? So me, Hanky McSpanky, and Zion walked into a bar. Well, they're both underage, so yes, it would actually be pretty interesting from the get-go there. <laughs> Although I think <laughs> Zion, short of Fort Knox, Zion can pretty much walk into any place he wants at this point. Uh, yeah, well, who's going to tell Zion he can't come in? Exactly. He'll eat you. <laughs> He'll, did you just say he'll eat you? Yeah, he could. He looks like he could. Don't you think so? <laughs> He's he, Yes or no, Zion could eat another human. Yes or no, if he wanted to. I'm not saying he desires humans or, or human flesh. Mm. But, like, gun to head, Zion do it or I'm pulling the trigger. Could Zion eat another human? I say yes. We haven't dipped into cannibalism on the pod in at least two or three years, so this has been overdue uh, for a subject topic, and there's no doubt about it. Um, I'm going to go yeah. I think so, yeah. What it? What if Zion eats Hanky McSpanky in Maui? Would that be a story? Would that get me on at CBS Sports HQ? I think it would get you on CBS Sports HQ. And if you are not watching, by the way, you should be watching CBS Sports HQ. You can check it out on any device that broadcasts pretty much anything. CBS Sports HQ, Parrish is on it. I'm on it. And we're going to be on it pretty much daily as uh, college hoop season picks up. So that was just uh, sneaking a little bit of a plug. And it is genuinely awesome. I think you will enjoy it if you haven't checked it out already. Trivia time, Norlander. Fire away. What league right now has more top 40 Ken Palm teams than any other league? Uh, well, the fact that you're uh, – first of all, full disclosure, I love our unprompted trivia. Didn't know this was coming. 
the fact that you're asking this makes me think that it's not the ACC and it's not the Big 12. Now, at the start of the season, you said SEC would be a top two league. Um, I will say SEC, but that's just because I think you're setting it up because you think the SEC is going to be a top two league. Am I right? You could not. I mean, you could be more wrong, but you're you're definitely way wrong. The SEC has five top forty right now, which is low. It's the Big Ten. What? Big Ten's the Big Ten has ten top forty Ken Palm teams right now. I noticed this because when I updated the top twenty five and one, like I've got a bunch of Big Ten teams in there, um, and and so I just went over to Ken Palm to like look like I always you know I keep a close eye on everything, but I, I was like, am I out of am I out of sorts here? And it. The Big Ten's interesting. They don't. Ha- they might not have a great team. They don't have a top ten team in Kempom, but they've got ten top forties. Michigan State's thirteen. Purdue's sixteen. Wisconsin eighteen. Indiana twenty four. Michigan twenty five. Ohio-, Ohio State thirty two. Nebraska thirty three. Maryland thirty four. Penn State thirty five. Iowa thirty eight. Ten top forty Kempom teams. The ACC has nine. Big Twelve has seven. Big East and SEC have five. Pac-12 has one. American has one. So, again, I don't know if there's a great team, but there's a lot of good teams in the Big Ten. And the league right now, um, overall record, 27-2. and two. Um, Illinois, of course, lost to, Georgetown, uh, uh, lost to Georgetown. And Michigan State lost to Kansas. But there are no other league losses right now. And that doesn't mean much because there's not a whole lot of great wins in there either. But still, 27-2 and two as a league with 10 – Top forty Kim Palm teams. That I don't know. It's just something that popped off, uh, popped out at me. It is. It's well. We'll see what happens here as the Gavit games continue, and then we get into next week with a lot of tournament play because we still, are, yeah, we got a lot to go. How about this though, Parrish? You mentioned the Ken Palm stuff. I'm going to bring Sagarin into the fold. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. And I saw this too. Dude, no, 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 no. Not just like, what you think. No, no, not just, not just Nebraska number one. They got. He's got Rutgers at thirty. They got seven in the top thirty overall. But yeah, you got Indiana seven, Ohio State nine, and Nebraska right now is the number one team in Sagarin's ratings. And let it be known that Sagarin's ratings, which have been around forever and, and are used on team sheets or at least referenced, and they generally speaking they do wrinkle out to to some decent form. They're a mess right now. I don't understand what's gone on here to create Nebraska as a clear cut. It's Nebraska, Gonzaga, NC State, Duke, Carolina, Auburn, Indiana, Miami, Ohio State, Florida State. San Francisco is 12th. Like, what is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I just had to bring that up because I, I don't know if there's a glitch or if this is – I feel like I look at them every year, Parish in October, November, and I don't remember it being this bad, but maybe I'm just mistaken and I just don't remember when it's been wacky like this. But this is insane. Yeah. Um, what what sort of data do you have to put in a computer to get Nebraska number one? And I, I, I'm, I'm speaking as somebody who, like – Thinks Nebraska probably is top thirty, top thirty-five, but number one. What? I don't know, but how, how about this, Parish? So, I think this is actually a good thing for the NCAA, and here's why I say this: in a couple weeks' time, we're going to get the debut rankings of the net. And frankly, if you work with the NCAA and you were involved in this, the selection committee, however you want to lay it out there, there's definitely going to be some nervous excitement about those first rankings because what you don't want, what you don't want is to look across at Ken Palm or KPI or BPI or even ESPN strength of record, which is the, uh, the non-predictive version of, of, of BPI, 
even RPI, whatever. And for the most part, you've got a top 10 that's floating but in the same realm. Like maybe it, maybe the greatest discrepancy is you've got a team that's 16-1 and one and maybe 8 in another. Okay, that's doable. If you're the net, what you don't want is Duke to be 6 if they're still undefeated or a team that's 1-4 to be top 30. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but you're not going to know until you see the ratings. So to see that Sagarin starts like this <laughs> um, – Maybe you can at least point to another mainstream accepted metric that has its early season issues, if you want to call them that. Um, but we'll see if that even happens. But just keep that in mind, because I would think that around the Big Ten ACC challenge, which obviously happens at the end of every November, that's when we're going to get those first rankings. We'll obviously talk about them once they come out. But uh, but if they do have concern, at least there's a little bit of solace in that there's another one that's accepted that's, frankly, it's just it's wacky the teams they got that Sagarin's got in his top 30 right now. Yeah, for anybody interested, I've got um, Michigan State 11th from the Big Ten. Michigan State 11th in the top 25 and one. Um, I've got Michigan 20th, and then I've got Maryland 22nd, Indiana 24th, Nebraska 25th, Purdue 26th. So a lot of uh, quality team, and I think Minnesota's got a chance to be really good. You know, they, they were supposed to be good last season, then just had a bunch of injuries, a suspension. But, um, you know, everybody who's – no, I think they're still down a player. But they're mostly healthy. I think Minnesota can be good. So that's going to be a league that's going to be fun to watch. Um, I don't know if they've got a, a real national championship contender, although Michigan State, perhaps. But they've got a lot of really, really good teams. Again, 10 top 40 Kempom teams. That's more than uh, any other league in America. We've got a nice doubleheader tomorrow night at the Garden. Uh, number 15, Syracuse against UConn. Number 13, Oregon against Iowa. Any of that interest you? It interests me enough that I'm going to be there. So, yeah. I was ask. I didn't want to say you're going to be there and then you have to tell me no because it would make you sound lazy. So, uh, that's why I didn't bring it up. But I'm glad you're going to be there. Good job. <laughs> I, am gonna, I am going to be there. Uh, you got Q. So, come, uh, come the sec start of the second half of that Oregon-Iowa game, the Garden might be uh, a little problematic because – Listen, I don't know. Maybe it's just because specifically because it's for TV and they think the 7 o'clock window is better. But you should have Syracuse-UConn be the second game. Uh, the building will be borderline filled, if not filled entirely, because obviously, you know, those two fan bases. One, you've got so many that live in New York, if not around it. And they have had a number of, uh, of memorable games, obviously, most Notably, the 6 OT game from 09 um, at the Garden. So Syracuse-UConn starts it at 7, and then you got Oregon versus Iowa at 9.30. Let me just go to that one first real quick, because one, you know, if Iowa's a top 30 team, top 40 team, I want to see how they actually do against Oregon and Bowl Bowl. I think Oregon is going to be the best team in the Pac-12 this season. They've they've looked pretty much the part so far this to start. So I'm just intrigued to see Oregon up close and personal. Frankly, Parrish, I, I maybe like once or twice – I've ever seen Oregon in person just because I never obviously fly out to see them and they don't usually come east. So it's just it's just a matter of I just haven't been in the same spot as them um, over the years. So a uh, rare chance to see Dana Altman's guys in person. They should be pretty good. I uh, want to see Bull Bull, Kenny Wooten, Louis King, if uh, if he's able to get healthy soon, see what he's like out on the floor as well. And then Peyton Pritchard, who could be the most important player on that team. As for Syracuse, UConn, well, here's a great early season Look at Dan Hurley as we head into that game on Thursday night. It's uh, you'll hear plenty of talk about UConn new regime. Dan Hurley, here's what the team looks like. Here's how he's rebuilding in his own image, and all that stuff is true. Syracuse is much much better. So um, I think the fan split will be more UConn than Cuse, but Cuse will show up in good numbers. 
and Syracuse is really, really good. So how is UConn going to face up against uh, a fairly talented Syracuse team that is considered by some to be a top 15 quality? Uh, some metrics have them actually in the top 10. They've started off well, but they've had two games against uh, Eastern Washington, Moorhead State, not exceptionally challenging opponents. Now you get UConn on a neutral. It'll be uh, it'll be intriguing. I think Syracuse will win. I'll put them down for, say, a uh, like a 76 60 Four kind of win. I think they'll win comfortably, um, but more than anything, I want to I want to see how good they look and how UConn responds. I think that is probably the best game of the night. I'll let you get to that. But the only other one that might be intriguing. Well, there's two really. How does Wichita State do against Davidson? Um, A10 could really use that win, and the American could really use that win for their respective programs. So just want to keep an eye on that. And then just Ohio State at Creighton. Like, if Ohio State wins that game, it's not going to be a stunner. But they'll be getting off to a start here where they'll have road wins against Cincinnati and Creighton. Let's just wait and see if that happens. If it does, we can um, appraise the Buckeyes perhaps on Friday's podcast. But clearly, Syracuse-UConn to me is the big draw of Thursday night. I'm with you. I'd, I'd like to hear an explanation on why Syracuse-UConn isn't the the second game of that, that doubleheader. It makes no sense to put them at 7 Eastern, does it? Uh, not the not Paris. Not from what I can tell. I, I don't. You know who knows why these decisions get made. But you would want the better game because you want more fans to come in. Uh, particularly, you know, even if they're not there for the tip of Oregon, Iowa, that's fine. They'll be there by the start of the second half. They get in, they get their seats, and then it's really roaring for a 9:30 start. But for whatever reason, that was not uh, the decision that was made. I'm sure, by the way, like. Bayheim and Hurley appreciate that because they can get out of there. They can get home, get to their own beds by a relatively reasonable hour. But for the purposes of attention and getting the most people in the building, and I would think better ratings, you'd want that to be the second game, but it's just not how it worked out. Yeah, I, I say it makes no sense. Uh, I, I assume that that maybe maybe it does on, on some level to somebody, but it, on a surface level, it doesn't make any sense, particularly because um, you get well, – maybe you want Oregon playing later. For the West Coast, Maybe. but that can't be I a determining know. factor, can it? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, and it's not like playing Oregon at seven local four for their body clock, which you know I don't even know if that's, that's like it's it's not an inconvenience. They're gonna all these schools that are on the West Coast anyway are gonna be playing games during the day as it is. So yeah, I don't I don't really understand some of the. Uh, some of the philosophy behind some TV schedule stuff. But rest assured, the people that are responsible for those things and all of the millions of dollars of advertising that goes into that stuff, they, generally speaking, uh, have very legitimate reasons for doing what they do. But I was just – until yesterday when I knew I was going in, I just had in my mind that it would that I'm going to write clearly definitely off of Syracuse-UConn and that's going to be the late one and I was going to have to file late, hop on the train late and all that. But it's not it's not that way at all. You're not going to focus on Bobo? I am going to focus on Bobo, but Bobo is going to be my day after Friday piece. So I'll have something I would think on him for the day after, but I will have Syracuse UConn at CBSSports.com on your CBS Sports app on your phone. I'll file a column from MSG Thursday night right then and there. Obviously, um, the Duke freshmen have gotten um, most, if not all, of the attention so far this season, and, and for good reason. They've been terrific. Um, I saw somebody... Uh, suggest, and I can't remember who it was, or else I'd give them credit. But suggest that they, you know, the, the Duke freshmen Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish might not only be like the three best pro prospects in college basketball; they might already be the three best college basketball players in the country. I don't know if that's true, but it's interesting that you could reasonably suggest it and 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 um, and and not get a whole lot of pushback. But Bo Bowl's been. Uh, interesting so far this season as well. He's averaging 17.5 points per game, uh, 12 rebounds per game, uh, 3.5 blocks. He's shooting 
46% from the field, 33% from three-point range. And so I, I've always, not always, but with the way the NBA has changed, uh, been skeptical that he can really be, you know, a top five, top ten pick, given that everybody's playing smaller. Um, you have to be able to switch on guards if you're a big or else you can't stay on the court. But um, he looks like a legitimate NBA prospect. I mean, somebody's going to take him pretty high because he's he's like seven foot two, seven foot three, and he can put the ball on the floor. He can make a jumper. Um, he really does appear to be pretty much comfortable uh, anywhere on the court. He does. He listen. He's an he's an interesting prospect to watch. Frankly, he's carried a reputation for being inconsistent, irregular, and not you know. Whatever you want to say his his meter is, like maybe just playing to a six or a seven on that uh, on more nights than not. So if he can get over that reputation, yeah, he's got a chance. Like If he winds up being the complete player that people think he is at his peak, then he's going to be a top five pick. But I don't think you have a player that's a freshman this season that entered the college hoop season 2018 to 2019 with a – a greater disparity or wider spectrum, if you will, Paris, between like maybe top five or you know what, maybe he slips like early second round. He's so tall and obviously with how good his father was, he's going to get drafted. It would just, it would, it would honestly, he'd be one of the greatest a potential one of done busts ever if he wasn't drafted. I don't think that's going to happen. But I was curious to see how he would be implemented into Oregon's system. It's looked good so far. I'm intrigued in seeing him up close and personal. Parrish, um, I have a quick question for you. So as a heads up to listeners and readers. Um, Paris obviously does his daily top 25 and one rankings, which are the rankings, the stuff that you should be checking every single morning, whenever you can on your phone, on the website, whatever, just check the rankings. Cause it's a great way, frankly, of just keeping up with the Joneses. And you know, we understand that some nights you might be busy for one reason or another, or you just won't, you won't catch the fact that there might've been one, two or three ranked teams. So check those out daily. But my, our editor said, listen, we want you to do some sort of thing as well. Cause frankly, people can't get enough of these rankings. So I think the plan is every Thursday I'm going to do a 16-team power ranking, but it's going to be different. Whereas Parrish is truly doing a day-by-day, this is um, what the sport is. Mine are going to be more, if you want to call it a stock report, a buzz report, teams that are trending kind of deal. So here's my question to you, Parrish, because I haven't decided what to do with Buffalo. You had mentioned them at the top. These rankings will be more about what you've done pretty much in the past, call it seven to ten days, or if you've done something that's super interesting – uh, let's say you win back-to-back games on buzzer beaters from 30 feet. Like, that might get you on the power rankings for a week or something like that. Just a way to bring some attention to other teams that, frankly, won't hit your rankings. But also, like, Duke's going to be number one. They're the most talked-about team. They're the most buzzworthy team. You follow where I'm going. My question for you is, like, Buffalo has a road win against West Virginia, and now it has a road win against a Southern Illinois team that gave Kentucky a good game at Rupp. They're 3-0. and Like, Putting Buffalo, say, top four, top five, top six, for the purposes of these kinds of rankings, what I've just explained to you, are you on board with that, given also the fact that they're a top 50 Ken Palm team, probably the best team from a one-mid conference? Do you endorse that kind of move? I do not. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't think Buffalo's good and perhaps better than what the computers think right now. But my um, philosophy, if you will, on on ranking teams is, is basically if I think think you're something in the preseason I'm going to believe you're that until you prove otherwise and so I didn't think Buffalo was a top 25 team certainly not a top six team in the preseason I don't think anybody did um and and yeah they've got a a, a road win at West Virginia and a road win at Southern Illinois and both of those are top 100 Kimpom wins the win at West Virginia is obviously terrific but um you know like if, if um if C.J. Massenburg I think he was the one that hit the shot to send it to overtime. 
you know, he hits a long three, you know, with about 12 seconds to go at the end of regulation to, to send it to overtime. If he misses that, which he, he's going to do more often than not, then, then we're, we're not talking about Buffalo at all. So really what, what you're arguing, if you're arguing in favor of Buffalo, is that they're a top, for your purposes, 16 team based on C.J. Massenburg making a 25-footer. Yeah, they've um, been a top 16, uh, you know, noisemaker, mover in the sport just to, just to start oh, they, the season. They, they, I joke, we joked uh, last uh, podcast about your North Carolina uh, opinion about having the best resume, whatever. But um, you know, Buffalo's got two top 100 road wins, including one over a top 15 team. That, that's West Virginia. So, it, it, listen, if you put them in there, especially considering they're ranked 25th in the country in the AP poll right now, just because I don't have them in the top 25 and one doesn't mean other people aren't giving them um, accolades. It, it, it won't be absurd. It's just not it, – I think you asked me would I endorse it. I would not, but I also wouldn't protest it, whatever. Yeah, it's not like – just to be clear, though, this isn't going to be like your rankings. Like, frankly, I just have to differentiate it, and our editors want me to do this kind of thing. It's going to be cool, different, fun, whatever. Just the teams that you might need to know about are the teams that have played well as of late, and Buffalo with its two – Relatively notable road wins. It's it started off pretty well. Granted, one of them was an OT one against West Virginia, but still they got it. Um, I was just curious as to your thoughts on that. So yeah, it'll be a it'll be a work in progress. But just another thing to to look forward to. Something different that's going to publish on the site every week. But yes, I'll make this clear in the story, and I have to make it clear now. What these are are not the rankings of the 16 best teams in college basketball. It's more of the 16 um, hottest or most interesting or just teams that have done stuff from the most re- previous power rankings that have, have brought them into some sort of relevance or, or interest of note in college hoops, that's all. And yet, no matter how clear you make it. I know. I'm ready for this. Do you, do you know how many people tweeted me about your 1 to 353 rankings? <laughs> like, hey, Parrish, are you an idiot? I'm like, I have nothing to do. Not only do I have nothing to do with those 1 to 353, it says, if you read it, that I have nothing to do with the 1 to 353. My name's not on it. My it, it, and it, it is written in there. These are not Gary Parish's top twenty-five and one. Gary Parish has nothing to do with this, and yet people still tweeted me basically every day. Hey Parish, how could you justify having this? I got nothing to do with that. I, I got I got absolutely nothing to do with that. And yet pe- people people don't read. People spend more time tweeting at you than they do reading. They could answer their own question if they just read, but they don't do it. Tell me about it. I hear you, man. Uh, real quick here before we get out of here. So I. Listen, I was I was I leading the witness with this tweet. I was, but um, I tweeted on Monday or Tuesday. This is this is a factual tweet. Okay, it is factual. There is no there is no opinion. It says Duke now the number one team in America will be the last team in college basketball to play a true road game this season. Duke's first road game doesn't come until January eighth, two plus months removed from its season opener. Meantime. UNC played two row games within the first four days of the season, and Duke fans lost it. <laughs> they lost. It was actually funny to see the anti-Duke people go after the Duke people or whatever. But it's oh, okay. So we'd rather play Wofford and Elon on the road because that's better than Kentucky on a neutral. No, it's not actually. But what I was getting at was it is an interesting dichotomy between the most marketable well-known rivalry in college basketball, you have one team that could not be playing a road game later than anyone else, 
and the other team in that rivalry playing it as early as possible. I thought that was interesting. And not only that, but UNC played two of them. Um, but so to your point where people just like to, uh, to just go off, they do. And it was funny, and I appreciate all of the hate tweets and the support tweets and all that. But that, that thing took off in a way that I did not expect it to. Um, and frankly, it's okay to criticize Mike Krzyzewski if he doesn't want to play games on the road. The formula has worked for him in most years. Okay, it still sucks. I'd love to see Duke play the occasional non-conference road game because I think it would be, frankly, just a little more fun for the sport if you if it wasn't the Big Ten ACC inducing one, which it, it isn't this year. Next year, Duke will play on the road. It'd be great to see Shostakovich do that, but he has no impetus to do it. I don't necessarily fault him for it, but just because I don't fault him for it doesn't mean we can't needle Duke just a little bit for not being willing to do what so many other coaches do. Oh, one more thing. I mentioned to you, Parrish, what other coach aside from Roy Williams would do what he did? Actually, Lon Kruger did do that this season. So shouts to him. Shouts to Oklahoma. Uh, they actually did start their season with two roadies, um, two true roadies. So uh, big ups to Kruger for doing that like Roy Williams. They did. They went to Rio Grande Valley and UTSA. Um, are those both um, former Oak- Lon Kruger assistants? I think so. Uh, UTSA for sure. And then Lou Hill, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So they are. So, you know, it was uh, regardless regardless of motivation, he did it. He scheduled the game. Right. A, lot of, a lot of coaches no. don't do that. So No, for sure. And by the way, on Duke scheduling, I got no issue with it. None. Zero. Like, it, it is not required that you schedule road games. And it is not, like, you know, if it actually prepared you for something, and I guess you could argue it could prepare you for league play. But, like, to win the NCAA tournament, you do not have to win a road game. It's all neutral court stuff. And so, except for the one year, Duke had to play South Carolina in South Carolina, I guess. That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the exception. But um, and, all, yeah, uh, and all the other people that have to play Duke in North Carolina in North Carolina the first weekend. I can right. already hear the opposing fans r- responding to that. Maybe that's the argument for Duke should play non-league road games. It's like, what happens if you end up in the NCAA tournament and you get South Carolina round the 32 in the state of South Carolina? But um, listen, you, you, I never, um, I don't know, get bothered by people running their programs in the way that they think is best. And if you are Duke, you know, John Calipari doesn't like to play road games in non-league. You know, and 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 he'd rather take you. He'd rather go to neutral court. Um, and it works. Like, we're talking about Hall of Fame guys. And so, whatever. Um, I know our buddy Graham Couch has tweeted oh that. Are we going to get into this? Well, we'll definitely get into it when he actually does it. He has these, he has these um, ranking rules. And I think it's fine to have ranking philosophies. But, I mean, I actually have some. But, but rules, steadfast rules, they'll get you in trouble. And one of his is that. I don't know when the actual date is, but by some point in December, if you have not played a road game, he refuses to acknowledge your existence, which means that if he sticks to this, he will not have Duke on his AP ballot at some point next month. I think that's what he actually tweeted, Mm -hmm. which is just nonsensical. And um, he will be he'll be featured heavily in the poll text (laughs) that week whenever he drops Duke. How uh, about this? And listen, my ballot. Graham is a creative thinker, good columnist. He is out of his mind on this. I propose that you uh, that maybe like if the first time he does it, you dedicate the entire poll attacks to him, and every subsequent time after that, until he finally ranks Duke again, you have a you have a Graham Couch like subsection highlight. Like if he's gonna do that, the spotlight should be on him every week because that's just ridiculous. Uh, you cannot do that. Like it. 
I don't know. That's that's just <laughs> listen. Like, if you want to say that I have rules when it comes to ranking teams, that's I guess that's fine. But like, this is a stupid rule. It doesn't even make any sense. It's just it's it's it like there's no logic to it whatsoever. Punishing a, a program to the extent that you're punishing, but punishing a program for not doing something it isn't required to do, but you think it ought to. What? Like a. Like, Who's yeah. got the best 25 resumes? Who's got the best, tw- you know, who's the best 25? Like, there are different ways to ranking teams. You could just say rank them based on, on resumes, body of work. You can rank them on potential. You can rank them on uh, just who you think's best. But, like, leaving uh, uh, the most talented team in the country, which is clearly going to have a top 25 resume, computer ranking, anything attached to it anytime in December, leaving them off because – you think Mike Krzyzewski should uh, schedule road games in the non-league? I mean, it really I, – I, I hesitate to use the word because I don't mean Graham is stupid. I never talk about people. Or I try not to talk about people. I talk about ballots. But, like, Graham isn't stupid, but that is a stupid thing. It's a stupid approach to to filling out an AP ballot. And, yeah, he'll, his time's coming. I can't wait. Well <laughs> – and the, the countdown is on. We'll obviously probably address this on the podcast once it actually happens. And then, of course, in poll tax. All right, bud. You want to get out of here? I do. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. You can do that via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. Five stars and nice comments. Please do that, and we will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care.